Hey folks, welcome to Narratives. Narratives is a podcast exploring the ways in which the world is better than in the past, the ways it is worse, and the paths towards a better, more definite vision of the future. I'm your host, Will Jarvis, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. You can find show notes, transcripts, and videos at narrativespodcast.com. Well, Jeffrey, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing pretty good. I just got back from DEF CON, so a little, a little tired, a little excited, a little everywhere, but feeling great. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, thanks so much for uh, taking the time the day after DEF CON to, to come on the show. Um, Jeffrey, do you mind giving a brief bio and some of the big ideas you're interested in? Yeah. Um, well, I've been thinking a lot about what's going to happen in the future. So a lot of my work and thinking has been pretty focused on that question. Um, and some of this is like just the existential risk question of like, are we going to make it? <laughs> and if not, what like what could possibly sort of knock us off course? Um, and so, yeah, really since college, so I studied evolutionary biology in college and I was thinking about like how species go extinct. And I'm like, oh yeah, could that happen to us? Like, yeah, probably. Um, but like what, you know, we're a pretty weird and unusual species. So it's like, you know, if we were to go extinct, um, it's, it's an interesting question of like what might cause that. And it seems like the most likely thing that would cause that is not like an asteroid strike or some external thing, but rather something that we cause ourselves um, just because we have, we're, we're so powerful. Um, and like, it's actually pretty interesting because I feel like, yeah, like people are very, very worried about climate change and like, Climate change is quite worrying in a lot of respects. Um, but like the same thing that makes climate change scary, which is that we can like have these huge effects on the environment, also makes us as a species pretty safe from climate change. Like because it's it's like, yeah, it's going to change things like uh, sea levels can rise. Um, you know, things can get really hot. Uh, weather can change all around. Agricultural uh, shifts can happen. But like all of these things have happened in human history before. And like humanity survived. And that was like at tech levels that were like way below our own. So we're actually like extremely robust in a way that's really cool. Um, so even though we can like totally mess things up a lot, we can also survive a lot of things. So yeah, I, I, like <laughs> a lot of, I think this is actually sort of the, the like high level of a lot of my thinking was like going through each like big risk category and then trying to figure out like, oh, could we, could we survive this? Could we not survive this? And so it's like climate change. Yeah, we can probably survive it. Like nuclear war. Ooh, that one's like a little tougher because like nukes are really powerful. Um, I just got back. So when I was in Las Vegas for DEF CON, I visited the uh, National Atomic Testing Museum. Uh, oh, nice. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Got, uh, and, and, you know, it sort of starts starting with Trinity all the way up through, all the way up to like the atmospheric testing ban. They moved everything underground. And they started doing underground testing. Um, I think it was it was Bravo, which is like the biggest nuclear test. This is like in in the Pacific, where they they tested a five. They what they thought was going to be a five megaton bomb, um, turned out to be a fourteen megaton bomb because they had like miscalculated how a certain isotope would respond. I mean, like that is like such a huge difference. Um, yes. Yeah. So so like we're you know, nukes are just like such a powerful, powerful technology. Um, and, you know, people have hypothesized about different big effects, the radiological effects, um, and, you know, and the climate effects, you know, you could potentially get a, a nuclear winter that could cause significant cooling. Um, and so I, I spent a few years looking at this question, not like mostly just looking at the existing literature, trying to think of it from first principles, talk to people who had done research in the space. And I think I have a pretty like wide, like distribution of 
probabilities around like how bad it could be. But I think even in the pretty like near worst case scenarios, we're still pretty likely to survive. Um, so like, don't get me wrong, nuclear war would be devastating, could really set civilization back for a while. But I think even in the pretty bad cases, we're just we're just so we're just like so good at surviving. Um, <laughs> and like we're really smart and we have lots of like there's lots of different knowledge distributed in lots of different places in the world and so even if it takes hundreds of years like on an, on an evolutionary time scale that's not a lot of time so good news <laughs> in my mind recoverable recoverable yeah totally yeah um and then yeah and then more recently I, I looked at this a lot with like biotechnology risks from biotechnology uh which is where i think you start to get into the realm of like oh there might be some things we could do that we wouldn't survive uh and then more recently still like looking at artificial intelligence. Uh, and yeah, once you start to have like adversarial pressure that tries to prevent you from surviving, that's where it gets really, really dangerous. Um, because it's like, you know, if it's the environment changing, the environment isn't optimizing to prevent you from existing. Um, but if you have, you know, if you have like a very intelligent agent that has, that is like misaligned, um, then, then you have you start to have real problems, especially if it's more smarter than you, more capable than you. Like if we wanted to go like, you know, Humans are a great example of this. Where like we have rats on islands, we don't want to have rats on. Like we accidentally introduced them to the island, and like we just wiped out whole giant rat populations off islands because we didn't want them there. And we're like, oh, they like keep evading these poisons. Let's use these other poisons. Um, and so yeah, that's that's it's not a situation you ever want to be in. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I guess yeah. I mean, this is this is a high level view walking through sort of different different risks from different technologies, thinking about how they might affect us. Um, but I don't know, I don't just think about ways in which we could all, you know, everything could fail. Um, so it, in terms of mostly what I'm doing right now professionally, uh, it's in the information security world, um, trying to prevent hackers from from hacking AI systems and sort of proliferating this technology. Um, also a bit of that in the biotech space, trying to keep, you know, sort of dangerous biotechnology uh, contained. Um, but I don't. I don't just think about that. <laughs> I'm also really excited about what what the future could look like. Like, the sort of the same. Some of these technologies that are like, you know, present these really big risks. Also pre pre uh, present these really like amazing opportunities. Um, and I think if you look at sort of like where we are right now, in, in like in you know in terms of like civilization and technology and society. Um, Things could be like vastly, vastly better. I think people like totally don't get it in terms of how good things could be. Like, th like things are. I don't know. In my life, I'm like my life's pretty good. Um, but you know, if I sort of flip that coin, I'm like, well, I am probably headed towards like age-related illness. Like, even if I stay really, really healthy and like do everything totally right, um, you know, when I'm 80, 90, 100, yeah, like that's gonna fail. All of my systems are gonna fail. I might get dementia. Um, and like my grandparents have dementia right now and it really sucks. Like it's really sad. It's like super yeah. tragic. Um, these like loving, caring, smart people just like losing their ability to remember their own context. And it's super sad. They lose their autonomy. They lose their freedom. And so when people right now are like, death isn't so bad. I'm like, but like you see people like decay and like lose everything. And like, that's not, not good. Even if, even if like everyone wanted to die eventually, it's not how you want to go. So like, exactly. And like, you know, we have amazing technology here in the United States where my grandparents live and like they're not they're not poor. They could you know they can they can afford medical interventions. Um, and yet that's still just nowhere close to enough. You know it doesn't matter if you're a billionaire. You still can't get past 120. Like not no technology is going to save right. you. Can't. And so yeah, that's when I when I think about like where we are compared to where we could be. I'm like yeah, we're we're still really falling short. Uh, and and that's like that's sad, but it's also really exciting because these these problems like 
are problems that could be solved with technology. Like there's no there's no fundamental reason that they can't be solved that way. So I'm like, great, well let's let's solve them and survive along the way, and then there you go. I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, I I, I want to talk about this bit this big lever point you, you've kind of mentioned here, which is is, is definitely underrated in the mainstream. I would say it's this point that okay, uh, AI at one level, first thing we should be very concerned about it because you know yeah, it could take our jobs, but maybe it kills us all first. And if one thing, uh, you, you said something really interesting earlier about rats, right? You know, we, you, and, and this, this made me think of uh, your evol- um, evolutionary biology background and the thought that, you know, hmm, you know, humans have been pretty good at making other species go extinct. Animals that are not as smart as we are, we are pretty good at making them go extinct if we want to. You know, there's cases upon cases of this. I, I, I'm curious, is, is that the key thing we should be worried about with AI is that if uh, being that is smarter than us decides we're not worthwhile or it's just like misaligned in some weird way, it could just come and just uh, wipe us off the planet, hunt us down wherever we are. And, and there's really nothing we could do, even if we're you know on Mars. It doesn't matter where we are. Um, and, and this is the true X risk because at some level, you know, it, it, it could not be recoverable. Almost all the other X risks are recoverable in some sense. You know, maybe we can go to Mars if there's severe asteroid impacts or nuclear war or something like that. But at the end of the day, uh, AI could be a, a scenario that's coming quickly that could go so wrong that it, we can't survive it. Yeah, I, you know, I think there's a lot of it's like a lot of people talking about this space and thinking about this space, and so you know, yeah. a lot like most of my ideas are like you know just trying to gem mine the good ideas that have already been talked about and sort of like respond to like this deluge of ideas. Um, but I think it's really like worth thinking about from first principles and like thinking about like, okay, like, well, if you have a really, really smart agent and you don't you know, necessarily know like exactly what kind of agent it is, um, are there things that we can infer about like what it might do? Um, and I think it was like Omohundro who first came up with like this idea of like basic AI drives, which is like, what what might you expect some agent to do? And there's like a number of things. If you're trying to accomplish some goal, um, well, like you don't want to be turned off or killed because like you're not going to be able to accomplish your goal if that's the case. And like, yeah, it applies to humans too. We're trying, you know, we don't like we've been very incentivized by evolution to survive and reproduce, so we're like very generally don't want to die. Um, but also like wanting to acquire resources. Um, and generally improve yourself, improve your ability to get stuff done out in the environment. Humans are, are great at this. Uh, you know, we've like learned to really stockpile resources and build tools and like uh, now we have computers and all these things. Um, so yeah, even though we don't know exactly what, like how AI systems will think or function, I think we can infer pretty well that like, and I think a lot of people point to current like language models where they're like, look at language models like GPT-3. They're not, they don't seem like they have very clear goals. They don't seem very goal directed. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true. But like, they're also not that useful. Like they're, they're kind of useful. They're, they're like, they're kind of useful for like generating cool stories and like for, you know, but if you, st- you know, if you imagine, you know, t- five, 10, 20 years in the future, um, people disagree a lot about these timelines, but if you imagine projecting out a little bit and like looking at people who are building more and more useful systems, I bet that the ones that are more useful are the ones that look more agent-like, like the ones that are better at planning, better at achieving their goals. Like, you know, if you were in charge of a big company and you like have some AI that's assisting you with, with planning, you know, you want the one that's good at it. <laughs> and so, exactly. and so I think that you can expect these, you know, even though they might have weird quirks and whatever, you can expect AI systems to be pretty, you know, pretty rational in this way, pretty smart. Uh, and so, you know, 
the I think the key question is like how hard is it to align their goals with ours? That's one question, and the other question is how powerful are they? So if they're like if they're like a little bit more powerful than us, um, then there's an interesting question of like oh well then like maybe maybe we're like useful, um, but maybe we're also a threat. So I could see you know humanity being wiped out because we're actually a threat to these systems. Um, and then if they're vastly more powerful than us, uh, then, well, we might be wiped out just as a side effect of them changing the environment. Like if, if there's absolutely no, nothing we can do to interfere with these systems, then maybe we don't care whether we live. But I, I think there's like a Elias Yudkowsky quote, which is like, the, the AI doesn't like love us or hate us. It's just like we're made of atoms that can be used for something else. Like we're just material that can be like repurposed. And we don't like to think of ourselves this way, but like <laughs> fundamentally at the end of the day, we're like made out of these particles and like we're on, we're on the planet and we're shaping the planet. And like if something else starts shaping the planet and then it makes it into something that's not very good for us, like, well, we're not, we're not going to make it. Um, yeah. And I, I think people have a really, really hard time imagining a system this powerful. Um, and, and there's a lot of, it's, I think, I think there's a lot of like, difficulty sort of imagining something that's like way way smarter than us but um i think that the question here the question for me is like how close are we to sort of the theoretical or practical ceiling of intelligence um like and so when i was when i was young i hadn't thought about ai at all i was imagining science fiction stories and i was imagining like oh man like what like how might the future go and i was like oh i bet we'll like genetically engineer ourselves to be smarter um, because like, well, people like, like pe we, we really value intelligence in our society. You can see that people who are really smart often get really good jobs and like can make really cool technology and whatever, uh, or just are like very politically savvy. Um, so it seems very desirable. We're you know, we're, this is before CRISPR, but like, yeah, whatever. Genetic engineering cl is clearly taking off. Uh, we're going to get that technology eventually. And then I sort of imagined, you know, I was like 18. So I was like imagining the like sole, like genius scientist that was like in the lab being like, ha ha ha, I will make myself smarter. And then like... And then you sort of have this like runaway dynamic, right? Where like the next, gener you know, the, uh, the you become smarter, so you can become even better at making yourself smarter and whatever, whatever. And you know, maybe this takes multiple generations, and so like each generation becomes smarter and can sort of reinvest in that. Um, but I sort of imagined a like runaway scenario where humans got smarter and smarter just via genetic engineering. Um, well, yeah, and, and since then I know a lot more about. Uh, genome selection and uh, <laughs> there's actually a lot of really interesting research uh, into like how this is possible and I, I think it is possible. Um, now there's a lot of limitations in terms of, of the human brain and in terms of genetic engineering um, but 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 like I, I think my point my point is is like you can you can imagine a, a scenario where humans become a lot more intelligent. I think it's useful to think like what would society look like in that case um, but then like the, the interesting thing is when you look at AI systems, the things that sort of are limiting to us, like sort of you know how how like fast neurons are, um, and sort of how much can you can you can you scale things just are, are not present. Like you can just build a big bigger data center. You can just like add more compute. And when you look at like the progression from like GPT two to GPT three, and then like all all of the newest models, and then uh, yeah, like you sort of just like look at like what all these different AI companies are doing and adding more and more compute. Um, yeah, yeah, it turns out you can like add more data. You can add more compute. Um, like these systems probably can just keep scaling, keep scaling, and keep scaling. Um, and so, like, when I look at that, I, my impression is that like the ceiling of intelligence is actually really, really, really high. And so, if you if you do get there, um, and I think we probably will, um, you're you're probably looking at a, a really big power differential between everything humanity can do and everything these, these systems can do. And that's the point at which like. I think we should be scared, like, <laughs> because, like, you know, if an alien civilization arrived and they were, like, just thousands and thousands of times more powerful than us and all of the technology looked like magic, you know, people, I think people would be and should be terrified. 
it's like maybe they're going to yeah. be nice to us like that would be I, I hope they're nice to us but like we're like completely at their mercy and the scenario that we're setting ourselves up for us for ourselves with ai is building systems that are thousands and thousands and thousands of times more powerful than us you know whatever i don't know what order of magnitude um and i'm like yeah that that should be scary because <laughs> that just just yes just because of the raw power differential even if we know nothing else it should be like oh goodness um and, and i think a lot of people like look at these arguments and they're like oh, i just don't really buy things and i'm like that's great like you, you know don't just like, don't take my word for it at all but like really think about like what are the cruxes when it comes to you know, maybe you think that it's impossible to build a system this powerful. Well, great. Like, why do you think that? Like, what are the, what right. are the components? Maybe you think that, you know, as you add more compute, you'll get, like, really strongly diminishing returns. Like, maybe that's the case. Like, <laughs> you know, and then make predictions. And then if your predictions, you know, if, if you think that that's the case, like, you know, maybe try to predict what AI systems won't be able to do. Um, because, like, people are often like, yeah, AI systems can't do this. And then, you like, next year they can. And then people, like, move the goalposts. And they're like, ah, oh, well, maybe they can't make, you know, <laughs> read text and summarize it. Yeah, they can now. So, exactly, and, and we keep we keep seeing these these, these big advancements. I, I'm curious. You mentioned something interesting there. Um, how much do you think? Like, uh, you know, how far can we get just by scaling up language models in, in the current paradigms we have? Versus, do you think there there will have to be radical, you know, breakthroughs in technology in AI research for these things to like truly create beings that are you know have agency and are scary at some level? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. The very short answer is I don't know. Um, <laughs> and in terms of how I reason about it, like, you know, so I'm I'm on the security team at Anthropic. Um, there's a lot of really smart people there. Uh, and, you know, just I have a lot of other friends who are in this space who are doing sort of, sort of doing work here. Um, you know, mostly really work on alignment, really trying to figure out how to align these systems and not how do we push these systems, you know, as, as, as you know, to be as capable as possible. But right. they do end up knowing a lot about that. Um and, you know, people disagree about this. I have some, and it's like really hard because I'm like, man, like I have, these are people that I think are really, I really respect. I think their thinking is very sharp and they have pretty different intuitions about what it will take. Um, my intuition, which I don't really trust here, some, some intuitions I trust a lot, some intuitions I don't trust <laughs> that much. I don't trust this one that much. But my intuition is that it will take some other pieces, but I don't think those pieces will necessarily be super, super hard to find. Um, gotcha. The reason I think this is that, yeah, just looking, I, I've been really impressed with sort of the general intelligence of language models so far, as just as you scale them up. So when I think when I saw GPT-2, I was like, this is really impressive. GPT-3, I'm like, oh, whoa, this is starting to get coherent. And then, you know, as, as GPT-3 has gotten better and other language models have gotten really better, I've really started to see this sort of like conceptual clarity emerge. And sort of instead of having to like ask, you know, try a prompt five different ways, you just like try one thing and you get a very coherent response. I've had, I've had dialogues with language models where they explain nuclear reactors to me. And they, they, you know, I was like, I was trying to figure out like, well, okay, you know, I'm very interested in the nuclear space. So I was, I wanted to know like, how come more, uh, more states that have nuclear power don't can't easily get nuclear weapons. I sort of felt, I was like, you know, maybe maybe if like you're Japan and you want nuclear weapons in a year, that's just fine. In one year, you can just have nuclear weapons. Yeah. And and I was and so one of the one of the questions here is like, well, I don't, why can't you just take the nuclear reactors you have and use them to like uh, make plutonium, and then you can make bombs out of plutonium. The original atomic bomb, uh, or one of the two designs, was a plutonium implosion. So you just get get plutonium, you make it in a reactor, 
like, great, that should work, right? Um, and so I was like, I was like asking the model this. I was like, why doesn't this work? Um, and the model's like, oh, well, that's because you do get, you can make use it. You can use a, a normal nuclear reactor to make plutonium, but the plutonium will also have like one of the isotopes that you'll produce um, isn't isn't weapons grade, and so that will basically poison the reaction, and it doesn't. You can't use it to make weapons. So you would have to like center. You'd have to like separate out the isotopes, which is the original hard part, which in uranium enrichment to start with. So you just like don't get that far. It is like, but if you use breeder reactors, then you can totally make weapons grade stuff. And I was like, oh well, like. Are breeder reactors harder to make? And they're like, yeah, they're harder to make. They're like more complicated, and, and they're also you know discouraged, so nations don't build them as much. But I was like, you know, this I'm just like, I don't think that the <laughs> I think that the model like actually understood the question. I think it like actually understood these concepts, um, and you know, it's hard to say because we don't have good enough interpretability tools to really know what's what's going on. This is something I really really hope we get because. As these systems become more powerful, we need to understand them. And I, I can see no way that that can be safe if we don't understand what's happening under the hood. And we certainly don't right now. Uh, so, like, shout out to Chris Ola's work, interpretability. We really need that. <laughs> and any, you know, anyone else who's doing good work in interpretability, I'm just very happy to see that field advance. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so but I guess what I'm saying is I see those language models having that conceptual. It's like it's as if I was having a conversation with you. Um, yeah, there are some important differences. You know, that model will not remember that conversation. If we, you know, if I have 20 more of those conversations, it won't remember the first one or whatever. There's a, there's a very limited context window. So that's the difference between our conversation, and that conversation. But other yeah. than that, it's like, it's not that different as if I were talking to you about, about nuclear reactors. And to me, I'm just like, oh, we've just already got a bunch of the core components of general intelligence and it makes, yeah. And so, you know, there's the solving the like sort of like planning and memory and all this stuff may, might be really hard. It might take some big breakthroughs, but I also could imagine some like cool hacks working. Um, so I'm, I'm somewhat agnostic. I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. Uh, I hope it takes lots of conceptual breakthroughs because that would mean we're further away and that would be good. We really need a lot of time here. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> Right, right. right. Uh, no, 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 I, I think that's that's a great. If you if you plot the line out from you know GPT two to GPT three, and you keep plopping that out, and just kind of uh, off into the future, like you can get really scared really fast about how how good these things can be. Um, different. I'm curious, and, and this is this is kind of a weird question, but I, I want to tie together a couple of things you talked about. Uh, you know, the first nuclear bomb, the Manhattan Project. Um, you know, when, whenever I think about when humans have had uh, solved really difficult technical challenges in a really short amount of time it has generally been because there is like some human enemy we're worried about at some level so you know if you think about the uh, you know, manhattan project you think about the apollo program uh, both of these were directed against some kind of foreign human like entity at some level and people would work eight hours a week to really try and like defray these these threats at some level my worry with like a more uh non-human threats when I think about COVID or I think about, you know, like AI alignment is that it, at some level, it just seems like less charismatic in people's minds and it's less, um, less vivid than if it's like a real human enemy. And, and so maybe that maybe people work less hard for real reasons. They're, they're less likely to solve collection acting problems among themselves to like solve these problems. Um, do you think that that is a real concern we should have about alignment is that it is, it, it's a non-human threat. And so perhaps at some level, it's just like less charismatic and it's harder to get people excited about it, to work on it and, and really put a lot of time in to try and solve these things. Yeah. I think I just straightforwardly agree with you that it's harder. <laughs> it's harder because of this. Right. And I, I was, I was a little, I was a bit disappointed yeah, with, with the response to COVID. Um, yeah. And maybe this is naive, really me, yeah. but I was hoping, you know, I was, I remember it. So I like helped, 
organized biosecurity conference catalyst in San Francisco for February 20 in February, 2020. And we had it, we like everyone met and we're like, you know, if it had been a week later, we probably wouldn't have met in person. Um, but we were there just before. So we're like, and we were talking yeah, about yeah. COVID, we we're talking about transmission and sort of trying to estimate, you know, what might the response look like. And some part of right. me was like, yeah, maybe the world won't rally, but I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe the world will rally around this thing. Yeah. And like, you know, I guess if I'm being charitable, we, we did do a really great job in, in some ways, you know, like vaccine production, I thought was, you know, we, we made a ton of vaccines. We made them very quickly, you know, in terms yeah. of historical precedent, we maybe could have done better, but we did a bunch of things really well. Um, but in terms of like the vibe or something, or in terms of the cultural impact, it feels like the world just did not unite around this, around this right. thing. Uh, and that's sad. Um, so I, I, I'm like, well, that should be a, like one point away from this, like, People will see the danger from AI and, you know, bend together to sort of try to defeat this thing. Uh, and, yeah, I think it, it is a bit of an uphill battle, and that's, like, unfortunate. Um, that being said, I know a lot of people who really see the, see these risks. And in the past, like, two years, I've seen tons of, like, tons of people who, you know, some of my smartest friends who previously were not interested in this, just, like, being exposed to it and and sort of hearing these arguments and, and finding them pretty compelling. Um and really engaging with them and then sort of wanting to be like, hey, can I work on this? And so, like, you know, on one hand, yeah, it seems pretty hard to motivate all like, sort of all of society to get behind this. On the other hand, I, I've seen lots of people very motivated to work on these things. And so I kind of hope that, um, you know, maybe a targeted approach could be really helpful here um, where, you know, we just we try to find people who you know, can work on this, do find these arguments compelling, um, sort of do see the risk here and then, and then go from there. Like maybe that's enough. Definitely. definitely. I, I, I like that. Um, going off of that, there's another, uh, analog. I'm just, I just love this, this analog with, uh, uh, the Manhattan project in, in that, uh, you know, the Manhattan project was a very centralized effort. You know, it was general groves. He goes and he finds Oppenheimer and, and, you know, no one wanted to hire Oppenheimer because, you know, he was like a socialist and all these things. And general groves is like, no, he's the guy. And, you know, like lobbies for this. And you've got this classic kind of two in the box management team and they're going through like in here in East Tennessee. And they were just like, you know, raising farms and they're, you know, like building all these, like all across the U S this really like impressive, like effort. Um, do you think at some level the uh, alignment community needs more coordination? I mean, it's a real challenge because it's not the federal government doing it. They can't just like go and like seize Google laptops and, and you know, th- these defense production mandates, right, to make these things happen. Yeah. But but would, would we be better off if there's a little bit more, uh, I guess, top-down command control in the alignment community? Or is it better to have like more people just working on diverse things because we don't have a great plan yet? Yeah, so I think how I would describe the, the, the field of, AI alignment. Um, well, I've, I've heard other people describe it as pre-paradigmatic, which seems accurate to me. Gotcha. There's not a really established paradigm for like, here's the most promising approaches. Um, yeah. A lot of people are trying a lot of different stuff. And I think that that's probably the right thing to do right now. So, um, you know, people going out and trying stuff and, you know, really trying to like build a strong research community that's like looking for good approaches. I think that's really valuable. So I don't think that, you know, I think I really want good discussion and sort of good, um, uh, like intellectual interchange between different groups yeah. so that we can tr- try to identify good strategies. I think that's super useful. Um, when it comes to more on the deployment or more on the sort of scaling side of things um, for the companies that are working with big models or are explicitly pursuing AGI, um, that's where I think coordination is really important. Um, yeah, there's, and there's been a lot of like 
debate on Twitter recently um, about like, oh, like, is it like good that people are pursuing um, AGI sort of really aggressively? Um, and yeah, I think it's actually pretty dangerous. Um, so I, my, my hope here um, is that sort of the leaders of all of these AI labs um, will, yeah, work together because <laughs> like we, we really all lose if if we don't, you know, if we're not very careful. Um, and I think the level of caution we need is pretty extreme. Um, and I also think that the leaders of these orgs are not dumb. And I think that they are, they, you know, like they, they have thought about these things. Um, like I saw Sam Altman, like retweet Eliezer Yudkowsky's like list of reasons for AGI ruin, which is this very intense list of like, here are all of these big problems that are not solved right now that would really cause us to, to go extinct from AI if we continue in the current direction. Um, you know, and, Sam Altman, which is leading OpenAI, which is like explicitly pursuing AGI, is like, you know, I may not agree with everything on this, but it's super important. And I'm like, that's great. Like, I, that, I'm I'm very happy to see that. And I'd be very happy to see, you know, the leaders of all of these orgs, you know, collaborate and you know maybe, you know, figure out how to proceed in a in a, in a very you know safe and hopefully pretty cautious, like you know, hopefully extremely cautious way. Um, I don't you know I don't know what that would look like. Um, but I don't think that that is, you know, I talked to some people and they're like, that seems, you know, really hard. And I'm like, well, it seems like kind of, it seems hard, but it doesn't seem impossible. And I think if you look at like the cultures that these people come from, like they're pretty similar. Like <laughs> I think they have yeah. pretty similar goals and they're trying to do similar things. And, you know, I could imagine a much more hostile like environment where people were like extremely competitive and racing really hard. And that's not the, that's not the feeling I get when I talk to people, you know, and I have lots of friends in these other orgs and that's not the feeling I get. Like people are actually, you know, really happy to talk to each other. Um, and so I'm like, well, we should leverage that <laughs> to, to be able to have something that's more coordinated. Um, I think everyone agrees that coordination is important. Um, and it's, it's, I think that there's just some really, you know, I want, I want the, the really practical things to happen. Um, and so, you know, I'd, I'd say, you know, the thing for people who are close to these circles is just to say like, encourage that, you know, if you're talking, if you're hanging out with some of these people, be like, yeah, hey guys, what's the plan for collaboration here? Like, <laughs> I would really, this seems very important and it seems very dangerous. It seems, you know, so like, how, how can we make sure that this is not being done unilaterally? Um, I think just like, you know, putting some, some friendly pressure there is a good idea. That's great. That's great. I, I think that's, it's the right approach. And I do, I do agree. I think these, these people are generally friendly and, and willing to work together in a way that it's not, not always common in, in the real world, which is, which is good and, and lends itself to, to collaboration. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about security in your work in, in, in context of AI. Um, I'm, I'm curious. It seems to me um, that a lot of security at this point has to do with actually solving human problems. Like, like what, what do humans do poorly and how do you optimize around that? Mm -hmm. it, am I off base on that? Is it primarily technical? Is it primarily humans? Is, is it kind of this crazy interplay between the two? Um, well, it's, it's definitely a crazy interplay between the two. Um, but no, you're totally right that like some of the biggest, like, you know, some of the biggest challenges are, are human challenges. Um, we, we sort of do know how to build secure systems. Um, we, we sort of have all of, you know, we humanity broadly, you know, there are, and, and there are lots of people who are just extremely good at like making secure technology. Um, but you do have a problem as you get more and more complex, it becomes harder and harder to secure. Um, that's, that's both technical complexity in terms of like, you know, how many things is your computer system doing? And that's also social complexity. How many users and developers and admins and all of these things do you have? Um, so and and social and then and then there's the social side of things where it's like you know how how 
how easy do you want it to do you want it to, to make it to for people to, to to use your systems, access your systems, access your systems at a privileged level? You know, it's very easy to make something secure and then throw it in the ocean. No one can ever use it. It's just not very useful. Uh, so you know, there's all these there's all of these trade offs. Um, so yeah, I mean, we can totally go into specific examples, but um, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, humans have to use these systems, and so there's going to be um, there's going to be um, um, I'm blanking on the word, but yeah, but the, the, but the, you're going to like have attack yeah, attack surface. Like you're going to have a attack yeah. surface that is those humans. At DefCon, there's a social engineering village. The main thing they do is they call up random people at random companies, and they like they have they get different points for different pieces of information. They can get those people to give them. Like these people should not That's be giving awesome. them any information. You know, they are not working for their company. They're just random people at DefCon. Yeah, uh, and they go through and they're like, hey, yeah, could you um tell me the serial number on your laptop? <laughs> um, but you know, first they 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 say, "Hey, how are you doing?" Like, I'm calling from here's right, right. this IT department, and like, yeah, we're just like doing some troubleshooting, and we notice like your system has some problems, and so yeah, give me the, the serial number for your computer. Yeah, and I'm assuming most people give it to you. Yeah, those the, the people are really good. Yeah, so the yeah yeah. <laughs> Um, how, how do you think about coaching people? Like, I what, what are the low hanging fruit in terms of, of making things more secure? Uh, you know, if you're trying to coach somebody, like you're talking to me, like, hey man, like you, you really need to get your security on point. Like, you know, what what's a big thing that that's that that's a pretty easy intervention for people to kind of, I guess, implement in their day to day life? Uh, so I think there's three really good obvious things that everyone can do. Um, which one do I want to start with? Well, yeah, one, keep your computers up to date. Um, you know, the, the, like software is vulnerable or software, you know, there are, people discover vulnerabilities in software and they exploit them. Um, but generally, you know, people also report these, the, the, the software vendors, Google and, and, and whoever patch these vulnerabilities. And so like, you just need to keep your computer up to date. So, uh, you know, if you're using Chrome in the top, right, there might be a thing if it turns red or even if it turns yellow, or just says updates available, just like try to keep clicking that and keep it, keep it updated. Um, same with your, same with your operating system, same with your phone, like use, Use use hardware that's fairly new and that's not like that's still supported. Um, so that's that's one thing. Like if, if you, things get sufficiently out of date, then you you, you have problems. Um, the next thing I would say is um, use two factor authentication. Um, so like a lot of the way, yeah, I mean, yeah. So there's there's a number of different types of two factor authentication. Um, the sort of strongest form is like you know use YubiKeys. So like basically, if you want to like really lock down your stuff, you have really important accounts. Um, I think people's social media accounts are often way more important than they think. Maybe maybe you already know this, but like you know, if you sort of think it's just sort of run through the mental exercise in your head. If you got locked out of your Gmail, how bad would that be for you? If you never had access to your Gmail again, how much would you lose? Same with your Facebook. Same with your LinkedIn. Same with your Twitter. Whatever you know, whatever you use. Um, and so for those important accounts in, in your bank as well, um, you know, use strong two-factor authentication. Um, so and I think there's like two things to remember here. I used to I used to tell people just to like. I just tell them how to do it, and then there's there's like a big flaw in this, which is that um, you also need to be able to access it. So it's it's not just important that you have two-factor authentication; it's important that you always have a backup. Um, so the thing I, I recommend to people is just get two YubiKeys. Like get two, yeah, you know, YubiKeys. It's a little USB dongle you plug into your computer, and then you tap. Um, if you get two of them, you can leave one like with your passport somewhere secure. You you keep the other one on your keyring. You should always have it with you. You don't need to actually use it that often. It's like maybe once a month or so, you actually need to like reauthorize on an account. Um, but this just makes it extremely hard for anyone to to fish you, to, to hack you in, in any way. Um, and then you have that backup, so you should always be able to get access. 
Um, there's also like authenticator apps, like Google Authenticator is pretty good. Um, you can you could like say use one YubiKey or use Google Authenticator. The problem with you uh, with Google Authenticator is if you lose your phone now you just don't have. If you only had used Google Authenticator, you lose your phone now you just don't have your second factor. So it doesn't satisfy the backup property. Um, you could use two phones, but you know so th it's it's like a little yeah. tricky. Um, and then there's some 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 websites only allow SMS based two factor. So you get a text message. Uh, this is not good because SMS is very insecure. People can hack your phone, whatever. Or not really hack your phone, but people can um, SIM swap you where they basically call up Verizon or whoever and say, I need to change. Hey, I got a new phone. My name is Jeffrey Laddish, but they're not Jeffrey Laddish. And then they you know, they, they port over your phone. And there's not, there's not that much you can do about that. There are a few things. but um, And so SMS is not very secure. In general, phone numbers are not very secure. Um, however, if that's the only thing that, you know, some banks are really terrible and they only allow SMS-based two-factor, um, it's still much better than not having two-factor. So, like, having two-factor just makes things much harder to hack, even if it's a phone number. So um, I'd say, you know, set up two-factor wherever you can. That will protect you a lot. Make sure you have a backup. That's pretty good. Um, the last thing is don't reuse passwords. So use a password manager of some kind. Um, the issue with reusing passwords is even if you have a really strong password, um, you know, you have like randomsite.com and you have a cool forum on that site and you, you use a password there. Um, someone hacks that site and they crack all the hashes and recover your password. And then they just try out that password on every other site you use. It's very easy. They can just like enter your email, enter that password. Um, I've just seen many people get hacked this way. Um, so just don't do it. So use a, use a password manager, um, even if it's just like the one built into Chrome. It's just way better. So because um, it's just a very common type of attack. Um, so yeah, those are the three things. Keep things updated. Use strong two-factor. Uh, don't reuse passwords. Um, honestly, for most people, like that will just get you. You're just actually pretty good. Like you're probably never going to get hacked if you do those things. You're probably going nice. to have a pretty good time. Like what's what's awesome is that security for like the end user has actually gotten a lot better. Um, like you know if this if this were like <laughs> the like late nineties. I could tell you a lot of things you could do and like none of them would be sufficient because like, you know, you're like Windows XP or whatever could just, is, would just be vulnerable and could be hacked even if, you know, there just weren't updates of it. So like we've actually come a long ways in terms of what's possible and in terms of like how secure, like, um, oh yeah. So maybe one more slightly advanced thing is um, I think like buying hardware for if like a phone, like if you're buying a phone, new phone, I would recommend either getting an iPhone or getting like a Google pixel. Um, the reason why is that um, like Google and, and Apple are just like among the best in terms of like making secure hardware and software. And if you get like a different Android phone, you're trusting Samsung or some other company, that's way less good. Um, and gotcha. so you're, you're sort of like relying on them to deliver Google security updates. They might, might they might be slower. They might add janky software that has vulnerabilities. Um, so, you know, this is not maybe not the most important piece of advice, but if you're trying to be a little extra careful, I would say do that. And I also make sure that the phone you're using is still supported. So unfortunately, Pixel 3s are not supported by Google anymore. Um, so just like, you know, if you have a Pixel 3, I'm like, yeah, you should probably upgrade. Like, I don't know, don't use an insecure yeah. phone. It's not a good idea. Yeah, it'd be a good idea. That'd be a good, good idea. I, I'm curious, what about messaging apps? Is it worth, are, are messaging apps like Signal, like uh, superior enough that it's worth using them? Um, yeah, I, I really recommend um, people use Signal. Um, I think it's useful to think about your um, threat model here. So um, it's not that I don't think that, say, like Messenger is is not secure. Um, it's actually pretty it's pretty secure if you have a strong two factor authentication on your on your like on Facebook. Um, you know, Facebook supports YubiKeys or security keys, so you can totally you know you can totally do that. I, I do that. Um, 
but the thing is, is that, you know, the government can just like say, hey, this person's sus, I want to look at, I want to look at your stuff. Um, and there are some protections in place, but um, yeah, I don't know, like why, why risk it? Um, if you're, if you're doing something sensitive um, and you want to just like have more assurance that some, you know, that, you know, some government can't access that, well then you just use end-to-end -end encryption. So signal is end-to-end -end encrypted, signal doesn't get to see what messages you send. And so, you know, that's just, you just, you just have that extra layer of protection. You can also like, you know, set disappearing, um, like a, a timer for disappearing messages so that you sort of, you don't have to do anything additional so that you know that your like message record will disappear. Um, there are, I think there are lots of things that are illegal that are not bad. Um, and I think people should generally do good things. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of things that, you know, you know, someone who is trying to attack you could potentially, you know, use something that you did that was technically illegal, though perfectly fine and just to, to come after you. Uh, and so you should protect yourself against, against things like that. Um, so, yeah. And, I, and I'm like, it doesn't matter what political ideology you are. Like if you are like, right. for any pol political ideology, there is something that you believe is totally good and right and just to do that is illegal, probably where you live. So like, for anyone, you Definitely. should, you should like, have the capability to coordinate with other people. Uh, you know, don't, don't do, don't kill people and stuff, but you should, you know, right. you should like, you're an individual person. You should be free. You should like have the ability to communicate with one another securely. So exactly. I love that. I love it. No, it's a great point. It's a great point. Um, J Jeffrey, I, I'm curious, you're super interesting to me because like, uh, uh, you're interested in security at, at all these different levels. Um, I, I'm curious, were you first interested in security or was evolutionary biology first, or did they come along beside each other? And then kind of like, uh, you know, you brought these two together thinking about X risks and, um, and how do we use security to help prevent some of these problems? Uh, evolutionary biology was totally first. Yeah. Nice. So I was, yeah, I was at the Evergreen State College in Olympia. Um, I was studying uh, evolutionary biology with Brett Weinstein, Heather Hying, um, and I sort of had just, I was there and I was like, like, what's interesting here? Like, who's who's teaching interesting things? And that was just like, by far the most interesting thing. And I, I started studying that, like learned about like phylogeny, sort of how different uh, animals are related to each other. I'd also like been reading Richard Dawkins books, like The Selfish Gene. And, and that was just like a really excellent take on on sort of like sort of like the mechanisms of evolutionary theory uh and, and shortly before then i had been very religious i, I grew up seventh-day adventist so like when i deconverted i was like wait but okay evolution is true first of all that's wild because i grew up very creationist i read all the creationist books i knew all the creationist arguments and so i was like well okay i think that evolution is probably true but it just doesn't make any sense to me i have no idea how this works so i was trying to figure out how it worked and i read the selfish gene and i was like oh wait well there are actually mechanisms here and like you can make predictions using you know using these 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 mechanisms um and i was just like so blown away by that once i saw that 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 um heather and brett were teaching uh, this sort of evolutionary theory i was like oh that's amazing i want to go and learn this so i was learning that and i was doing some like some bat research uh and some monkey research and uh, I don't know. I've always been interested in computers too, and so like at Evergreen, there was a hacking club, and they did CTFs, and they did something called Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition, and like basically what happened was I was I had I was doing all of this this um, bat research and like recording um, bat echolocation calls, and I had all this data on one of my laptops, and I totally messed it up, and so one of my friends who was like in this hacking club helped me like fix it and like restore everything. And I was like, that's amazing. Like you can just like boot into Linux, like from the, like, and just like operate in the command line. And I was like, I want to learn all that stuff. And so I just like fell in with that. And then, I, and then, yeah. And then I was thinking about existential risks and thinking about sort of, you know, all the large scale stuff. And it just seemed like this might be a practical skill that could be useful. Um, and so I was like, yeah, let's do it. I love that. I love that. Um, 
Jeffrey, I'm curious if one of our listeners is interested in security and, and AI alignment, what's a good place to start? Where should they go? Um, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, so I, mean, I think there's a lot on the EA forum about like alignment or yeah. So there's like less wrong. There's the alignment forum. Um, there's EA forum. I, I'm seeing more people post about, so there's a lot of people posting about alignment on, you know, the alignment forum as you'd expect. Um, and I think that I think that from there and from last wrong, you'll see a lot of like resource, like just like you know people pointing at introductory guides. Um, I think there's there's a few good like courses that you can take that are sort of people have tried to like, you know, bring together a bunch of the, the sort of fundamentals. Um, and I'm really hoping to see more people sort of trying to get into some of the theory and some of sort of the, the first principles when it comes to specifically security in AI systems. Um, I think that, yeah, it, it's actually a hard field, but I think it's like a very good field. So we, we haven't really talked about rationality per se explicitly that much, um, but I think I'm, I'm a really big fan of this way of thinking because um, security is a hard, I mean, alignment even more so, but security also is a very hard field um, because you don't get very good feedback. The feedback you get is pretty sparse. So, you know, like if, you know, if you're looking at securing your, your, you know, your laptop or your phone or your accounts, um, you're like, you might be like, well, I haven't gotten hacked. So like, am I really in, in danger? But if you only get hacked every 10 years and someone, you know, destroys all of your social media and all of your bank accounts, that's actually really bad. So you're, you're trying to like be calibrated by an event that only happens every 10 years. And that's just, that's just difficult because you don't get good feedback. Yeah. Um, and so in the cybersecurity space, it's difficult because, you know, people have different hypotheses about, you know, they have different threat models and, and, you know, and so I was just at DEF CON and I was talking with a bunch of friends and people were like wildly different in terms of their level of paranoia because you know, it's DEF CON, there's tons of hackers and people are like, oh my goodness, like maybe they'll find like a zero day in the, like the, like the Bluetooth <laughs> protocol and they're like, hack your, hack your device so you should have Bluetooth turned off. I'm like, should you have Bluetooth turned off? How big of a <laughs> risk is that actually? And that's actually an important question. Um, because, like, because, because there's so many trade-offs in security, you know, if I'm at an AI org and I'm trying to, you know, like help users secure their systems, uh, it, you know, if I'm like causing them tons and tons of trouble uh, for something that's not going to protect them that much because that, that threat wasn't realistic in the first place, um, you know, if I'm like, you have to use air gapped for every single, every single system has to be air gapped. Well, like they're never going to be able to get anything done. So like, that's probably not yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Maybe something, something should be air gapped, but like you, you need to have a, you need to be calibrated. You need to have a realistic threat model um, in order to do a good job. And so, I'm I'm actually pretty excited about seeing more people post on the EA forum, more, more people post on Less Wrong and the Alignment forum about some of these theoretical and, and applied security questions, um, because I think I think that like often, and this is throwing shade a little bit, but I think often in the infosec world, um, people like to talk about what's flashy, people like to demonstrate exploits, and they're not they they do a poor job of being calibrated, they do a poor job of of just having really rigorous epistemology. And I'm like, well, the stakes are too high here. We need rigorous epistemology. Like, let's let's try to build a community of people who are, you know, are, are you know, they're not just gonna let's, let's not just talk about flashy, flashy exploits and vulnerabilities. Let's like let's like try to be let's just, like try to be calibrated. Like, let's try to make good predictions, let's try to have true beliefs. Uh, I think that's the thing we need. I and mean, like that's definitely the thing we need when it comes to alignment. Um, you have the same problem, except it might be like, you know. Maybe we only get one shot, <laughs> or you know, exactly. maybe this. Maybe we'll get a few shots. Um, people disagree about that, but either way, we don't. Yeah. We probably don't have a lot of chances to get this right. And as these systems, like the more powerful these systems are, presumably the worse mistakes are. And, you know, and eventually they're unrecoverable. Um, and so that's that's a domain with very bad feedback. So we need to be extremely rigorous in our thinking. So, yeah. So I think you know, if you're interested, there's there's like definitely resources people can get involved. But I also want people to think about like. 
you know, it's not just a matter of like going out and like reading some content. It's also a matter of like improving your thinking. Like we need to be really good. So <laughs> it's like, it starts with like trying to improve, you know, how you reason, um, becoming more calibrated, you know, uh, so I, I think it's like, a, it's, it's not, it's not just a, like, it's not just knowledge. It's not just content. It's also like practice. It's also like skills. Getting better thinking. That's great. That's great. Um, well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Where should we send them? Yeah. Um, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Jeff Laddish. I used to go by Jeff. I go by Jeffrey now. So it's a little confusing, but that, that's probably the best place to follow my work. I also have a website, uh, jeffreyladdish.com. Um, and I, yeah, I post on the, the EA forum and, and less wrong sometimes as well. Um, so any of those places are, are fine places to, to follow me. Good stuff. Thanks so much, Jeffrey. Thanks. Special thanks to our sponsor, Bismarck Analysis, for the support. Bismarck Analysis creates the Bismarck Brief, a newsletter about intelligence-grade analysis of key industries, organizations, and live players. You can subscribe to Bismarck Brief at brief.bismarckanalysis.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Narratives. Special thanks to Donovan Dorrance, our audio editor. You can check out Donovan's work and music at donovandorrance.com.